back in the uh, sanctuary. I love seeing the children come up with their father during the reading and the dedication of the children. Just reminds me how much we need to be directly in connection with one another. But I got to tell you that when it's not possible, and I see this congregation functioning at the level that you function at with the pastors at home, I am just unbelievably blessed by that. I, I want to say to God, uh, we we get it, God. You see, we get it. We, we won't keep it, you know, fully expressed, but we're we're growing in grace and in knowledge. So that's just a fantastic thing. So let me uh, begin the uh, sermon. We have, uh, for many series, and particularly in the recent sermons, addressed seductive and coercive assimilation, and also threat and full persecution. Now, we are always under the pressure of seductive assimilation. That's just what our culture has done. We're beginning to see coercive assimilation and possibly the emergence of threat persecution. And we have to stand against these things as they're unlikely to go away soon if they go away at all. Now, we're taught in the scriptures to live in peaceful wisdom, knowing that some of us will suffer and some of us will find deliverance. And we're commanded to pray for the rulers of our country and seek the welfare of our cities uh, because we're uh, because our own welfare is tied to the welfare of those cities. Our resistance is to stand, not attack, while remaining faithful to the truth, being righteous in our behavior, maintaining the gospel as our message, with faith as our shield, salvation as our hope, and scripture as our sword of defense. And we do this in prayer and fasting, so that we continue in relationship with the Lord and with one another. We also, as I mentioned last week, are to make allies with unbelievers who see our holy and good conduct and will speak up on our behalf and help us in times of need. I'll talk more about that later uh, as we go into the more specifics. And we are to sparingly but firmly assert our rights under the authorities who have violated their place, when that assertion will assist in holding them at bay. I also talked about that last week, and we'll talk more down in the series on that. Today what I want to do is make a clear statement on where this standing is to take place. When people are unsure or divided regarding priorities, their effectiveness is lost. Now, I'm not making a case that this all depends on us. That would be a false view. We are the Lord's, and He is our shield and our defense. But we're told to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves in this rendering to Caesar what is his and to God what is his. And it's a difficult balance, as Randy uh, suggested in his testimony. For Jews and Christians, as the people of the God of Abraham, the primary institutions of formation and reinforcement of the faith are the household and the congregation. Now, I don't mean your house or the D.C. sanctuary. As much as we love those, those are buildings. And while they have meaning and significance to our faith, again, as Randy expressed, uh, they are temporal and of the earth. And we're not. We bear the image of the earthly, but we have been promised that we will bear the image of the heavenly. 
So we could actually live in caves and we could gather in catacombs as many of our fellow believers have throughout history. And we would still be households and congregation. That's what we keep, we need to keep focus on. By household, I'm talking about family and friends of your most intimate relational network uh, in the Lord. And by congregation, I mean those family and friends that form the larger congregation of the disciples sitting. Now, obviously, we also have the larger body, as Jenny talked about. There really is more to it even than that. But those two issues of our household gathering and our congregation gathering are really important. These primary institutions are increasingly under pressure to assimilate with a mindset that views the household and the congregation as meaningless or even problematic. The culture war that's in the United States of America that is now engaged in moving towards a greater and greater dependence on the government and elites to serve as providers, authorities, and decision makers on behalf of the citizens and the immigrants. And this direction is the same for both parties, though the methods and the speed of of that direction are different between them. But regardless of parties, the direction is away from the original freedoms and decentralized checks and balances of a minimalist uh, government as the people became self-governing. Now, there are some who want a second American revolution to counter this direction and, and bring us back. And I understand and appreciate that sentiment, but it is not consistent with the scriptures or with the Spirit of God. So you and I, we, need to have a, we have a choice to make. We can enter the fray of that culture war, or we can prioritize the kingdom by adapting our households and our congregation towards standing against assimilation and preparing to endure persecution. Now my passage this morning is from Joshua 24. So if you'll turn there, Joshua 24, I'm going to pick it up in verse 14. We'll start with uh, 14 to 18. Joshua is uh, speaking to the people and he says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, then choose for yourself today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now the people answered, and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage. And he did great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among the peoples uh, whose midst we passed. The Lord drove out before us all the peoples, even the Amorites, who lived in the land. We will serve the Lord He is our God. Now, the context of this passage is the promised land as they've entered in and the renewal of the covenant at Shechem. 
And Joshua reminds them that their ancestry began in paganism, and the God uh, and God called Abram or Abraham out of that. He established Israel through the children and grandchildren of uh, of Abraham, and ultimately delivered them from bondage in Egypt. And he recounts their history and the Lord's watch care over them. And he tells them now to do away with the trappings of the past, which in their case are the gods from the past and the recent gods that they have encountered. He tells them that it's time to serve the Lord in sincerity and truth. But that's a decision and a commitment. So he says, if you don't want to serve the Lord, pick another path. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now the people respond, and they say, we'll also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And they also repeat the testimony of God that was begun in Jacob and continues in them. They are knowledgeable of the way of God among them. Now in our case... We have to not engage the culture war which is raging all around us. Because we have been called out of that, uh, this world and its darkness, into the kingdom of God's Son. And we have been joined to the God of Israel and the Israel of God to dwell with them. And we are to live lightly and as light in this world. We're not fixing the world and we're not changing it. God hasn't sent us out as a... uh, a army of social workers and politicians and, and therapists to change the world and to heal the world. This world is not going to be healed. It's going to be changed by God. So our task is to exit and call others to join us in that exit. There are two methods for maintaining and expanding the kingdom. One is procreation and parenting, which we are doing. The other is evangelism by proclaiming the good news so that some will escape this world and join us in the kingdom. And while the priority is our children, converts are also important, and that can also be done through these institutions that we are doing, but mostly as we interact with people out in the world, which means even though our home has a priority, it doesn't become a a a retreat with walls and moats uh, where nobody can uh, come. In the same way that our congregation has guests, so our homes should also have guests. And then as we're out beyond both of those, we still come in contact with people that we can influence, that we can befriend, and that we can hopefully share the gospel with. Now, it's very important that you understand that the culture war that is going on is aimed at your children first and foremost. All the centralized systems of control that have ever existed in the world understand that if you can access and shape the children, you will shape the future. And our government is becoming increasingly centralized and moving into greater control of every area of American life. And that direction of that movement is anti-Semitic, it is anti-marriage, it is anti-procreation, it is anti-parent, and it is anti-gender. All biblical themes. And in each of these areas, the household is becoming less important and is getting, uh, uh, is maintaining less influence and control over our own children. 
Now, more recently, uh, under the guise of medical concerns and the subject of mental health, both of which actually exist and are real issues to deal with, but under those umbrellas of medical concerns and mental health, there is an increasing control by elites, experts, and bureaucratic systems that are unresponsive and impersonal because of the sheer numbers of people and the amount of money that is involved. Science has become a political football, and scientism a almost religious belief that scientists know things instead of looking at the science is becoming rampant. Now, it's painful for me to say this, but the schools are agents of the activists in this attempt to shape our children in an anti-Semitic, anti-marriage, anti-procreation, anti-parent, anti-gender, and anti-God future. So as Joshua did, we must determine if we are going to fight on one of the cultural sides of this war or, which I think we should do, stand in resistance to the whole thing for the sake of our children and our grandchildren. Jesus said, what shall a man give in exchange for his life? If he gain the whole world and lose his life, what shall it profit him? And my related question that I've said before, if we gain the whole world, we win all our neighbors to Jesus, but lose our children, what shall it profit us? We have to commit to serve the Lord and not get on this cultural merry-go-round and pretend that we're going to solve it that way. Now, I want to go back to Joshua 24, beginning in verse 19. So Joshua says to the people, You will not be able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God, and he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself, that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. And he said, now therefore, put away the foreign gods which are in your midst, and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God, and we will obey his voice. So Joshua warns the people that God is not interested in words. He, Joshua knows, and we know that we're not fully capable of fully following the Lord. We struggle. But our sins should be predominantly unintentional and not intentional sins. If we turn intentionally in rebellion to the Lord to go into assimilation and to compromise with the world, then he will punish us. Uh, and that punishment is awful because he is both holy and jealous. These words kind of are echoed in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 31, where, where the writer to the Hebrews says, Listen, if we sin willfully after we have a knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but a sure and certain judgment. And he says if that judgment was rough under the law of Moses, how much more will it be when we despise the one who was crucified and rose again? For our, for our salvation. So, 
this is a issue where intentional uh, withdrawal from what God wants us to do or deliberate rebellious sin will bring grave consequences. On the other hand, we have the wonderful news that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Those are the sins that happen because we are weak in the flesh and we are sometimes tempted by the world and we struggle with this. This faith is a faith of struggling. But you cannot be a part-time believer. So the starting place is our household and our children. And that has to be our primary focus. And then we have to help each other and we have to watch for others in the larger community of faith or those wanting to come out of the darkness because they also need to make a decision and make a commitment. So that brings us to Joshua 24, verse 25. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words which the Lord has spoken to us. Thus it shall be a witness against you, so that you do not deny your God. And then he dismisses the people. Now, we're told that Joshua made a covenant with the people, and he wrote this down in the book of the law. He begins to expand from what Moses wrote. We are reading that. And he also set up a witness stone, a stone that is a witness against us, because it's heard all the words that the Lord spoke to us, so that we will not deny our God. Now this week, we enter Lent, and it is our custom to draw, uh, to dawn across uh, during that time uh, in the morning as we put it on and in the evening as we take it off, and many of you have participated in that, uh, as we remind ourselves that we're bought with a price and that we must return to God, and I want us to continue to do that. Many of us use this to reinforce and reestablish the spiritual disciplines, the practices and the stewardships of our walk with the Lord. And I hope each of you will do that. But I'm going to ask you to do another commitment. Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock, when we have our scheduled Ash Wednesday service, I'm setting up a Zoom meeting that will go from 7 to 7.30. So this will be brief. And what I'm going to ask whoever wishes... And whoever can join me, you may not want to, or you may not be able to, I want you to select a rock. I don't want you to want, get one so big that you can't lift it kind of thing, but a rock that is substantially big. Uh, and I want you to bring that in so that you will place that in front of you as we commit to stand in resistance against assimilation and the endurance of hardship and maybe even persecution in the days, months, and years to come for the sake of our children and our fellow believers. When that service is over, I'm going to ask you to place that stone or rock on your family altar, if it's rel relatively small, or near your front door as a witness and a sign during this Lenten period, so that we will not deny by neglect or by intent the Lord our God. 
And then next week, what I want to do, what I want to do is address how we talk to our children about these things and the cultural issues without alarming them or without sending them out as soldiers in the battle. That we should not be doing that. But we need to immunize them against the assimilation and we need to be able to let them know the kinds of things that may be said and how they can think about them and how they can talk and behave in that context without uh, getting into trouble with it. Wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me and after we pray I'll open it up for, uh, for Q&A. Father, we uh, 